Hey folks, welcome to the Refuel Team Fairchild podcast. I'm your host, Sergeant Barrett. Our goal with this podcast is for Team Fairchild to get to know each other, our support programs, and to increase our sense of community and development. Every episode, we will be interviewing teammates from around the base and learning about them and their keys to success. All right, everybody, welcome back to Refuel Team Fairchild. On this episode, we are sitting down with Lieutenant Colonel Don Hildebrand, the 92nd Air Refueling Squadron Commander. Ma'am, how's it going? Good, good. Are you enjoying the weather? I am. I am a warm weather person, so this is uh, this is definitely making me happy. I heard it's supposed to dip back down, but I hope we're in a consistent uh, warm warm front here for a little while. Yeah, I'm with you. I um, kind of was sweating a little bit when I was outside today, but I didn't get upset about it. I really kind of enjoyed it for a second. Um, all right, ma'am. So uh, what I would like to start off with is for you to tell us your story. So how did you get to this spot in your life? Well, I grew up in Ohio, not from a military family. I come from actually a law enforcement family. So I think a similar in the sense of a civil servant, and I, I can feel that it's in my blood. And uh, my dad had suggested senior year of high school, he had mentioned the Air Force Academy, and I had no idea what that was. I, I knew what West Point was and kind of the Naval Academy, so it made sense that there was a, a, an Air Force option. And uh, so I started to look into it, applied super late for especially to already be a senior year uh, in high school. But uh, fortunately, I got accepted, got an appointment, and that kind of set me uh, on this path. I knew that I had to take the opportunity, that even though it was scary and something I didn't know about, that it was, uh, was going to be an awesome opportunity and it was paid for uh, college, which was great for our family. And uh, so I went forth and uh, went to the academy. Interestingly enough, uh, I, I am a pilot, but that wasn't something, it wasn't, I wasn't a little kid that saw planes and thought, oh, I want to be a pilot. Oh, wow. I just, yeah, I just went to the academy and thought, hey, that's a great opportunity to be a pilot there. Hopefully I'm pilot qualified. Um, and so I was just very lucky to, to kind of get on that path. What drove you down that? I think just first, once I applied to the Air Force Academy, kind of knowing that was a path to be a pilot, that that was your, your best option to be a pilot there, that uh, they had such a high percentage that if I was pilot qualified, that that would be the path I would go okay. on. Follow the masses yeah, uh, yeah. on that. So, okay. And definitely, obviously, not to, uh, being in the aircraft is a little bit more exciting than a desk job. So that was probably the appeal when I was kind of a yeah, young, we can young say teenager. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So after that, I went to pilot training. My first base uh, was uh, Mildenhall, England in the mm-hmm. KC-135. So I've flown KC-135s my entire career. Uh, after that, I went to be an air mobility liaison officer with the 82nd Airborne Division down at Fort Bragg. Mm-hmm. Uh, that changed me as a person. And uh, I know we're going to talk about later some of the the successes and things I would have done different, but that allowed me to figure out who I was. I never changed who I was in the Air Force, but I hadn't quite figured out how to be who I was and also be in the military. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that allowed me to do that. It just brought me out of my shell. I kind of figured out who I was and what kind of officer I wanted to be. Uh, after that, I went to Kadena uh, and flew 135s out there, and then I went to Scott uh, Air Mobility Command um, mm-hmm. Mothership <laughs> and uh, worked as staff there. I worked at the 618th AOC, and I uh, got to do planning there, worked on the floor, 
and then worked as an executive officer and then uh, moved my way up to AMC A3 as the strategy advisor. And then I came here to Fairchild as the chief of safety. I remember that. I remember working with you in the EOC actually when I was the emergency management superintendent. So. Yes. Yeah, okay. uh, that was such a great uh, opportunity to do that before coming into command. Mm -hmm. The connections just uh, made on oh, base okay. and understanding the leaders in a different way mm -hmm. uh, rather than coming into the, the command position trying to figure it out. And aviators were so fortunate that typically we get moved to the base that potentially will fly up into a command position, mm -hmm. where I know the other career fields, their, uh, their assignments, they're coming out of staff right into a command position. And I just can't imagine moving to a base, then taking command, trying to learn about where's uh, MPF, where's finance, those yeah. sorts of things, and just trying to get settled and then also moving into the command position. So that kind of let me get my feet settled here okay. locally. So you think that that definitely helped you then? Oh, for sure. Get your feet around. Okay. Exactly. Yep. Awesome. Well, two questions I've got for you. Uh, Milton Hall is also my first base. So, what year? When were you there? I was there. I got there in May of '05 and left in February of '09. Okay. I left. I left in December of '05. So we were okay. just I mean, obviously we didn't meet, but <laughs> cross paths. So interesting. Yeah, it was a good first base. I thought it kind of, it's kind of what made me stay in because I got that overseas view of things. And ever since then, I just thought this is this is what I want to do. So, oh, that's good. That's crazy how just that one assignment yeah. can kind of change the, the course. Absolutely. Uh, then my second question is, uh, so you said you your family comes from a law enforcement background. Do you think that that helped you kind of transition into the military at all? Because I, I mean, my grandfather was a police officer, but my nobody in my immediate family was. But I remember him talking about it, and it seems like they have a little bit of the same type of discipline and uniforms and structure and all that. So did, did that any of that translate over for you, do you think? Oh, for sure. I think uh, actually when I was in high school, I also did theater and I was uh, in a sense typecasted as I was always some sort of civil servant. I was a deputy one year, <laughs> a sheriff the next year, and then I was a maid, my juniors, different type of maids, but one junior, one senior uh -huh. year. And, uh, and so I see that it's just how they raised me in that mindset. And I think that is a, is an easy transition and the, the same sort of kind of mentality mm -hmm. and something that just growing up, uh, my dad would always do these like preparatory things, kind of rehearsing, mm -hmm. you know, just like a fire drill or whatnot. But in the car, if someone hopped in to try to carjack us, okay. we had procedures that we did <laughs> as a family. Okay. And uh, and that's very that's so in line with the military, right? Yep. You have okay, here's a you know emergency situation. Here's your procedure for that, yep, and uh, and that kind of prepped me for I think the military lifestyle okay. and the family. You're you're in difficult situations and they're in difficult situations every day and just kind of that leaning on each other right. mentality. The next question I'd like to ask you is, and this is, I know this is kind of a broad question, but if you were able to pull yourself aside, first day on the job, you walk into Millen Hall, you're brand new, what is a piece of advice that you'd give yourself? So I alluded to it a little bit before of when I was a liaison with the army, how I had really kind of figured out the integrating of myself with how I wanted to be as an officer. If I could uh, go back to John Hildebrand on a first day walking into Milton Hall, it would uh, it would just be to really 
not feel like I had to kind of test the waters or feel, you know, take that time. I took too long kind of figuring out where I wanted to fit in. And it was just, I should have just, if I could just be myself and walk in there and this is how I am, I'm going after it. I'm going after every challenge um, to not take so long to, to, to sort things out. It would have changed my path and I'm very, uh, you know, happy with how everything has turned out. I'm, I'm lucky, I'm blessed with, with my career, but I think that that would have made me feel more comfortable mm. and, and maybe go after opportunities that I thought um, at that point might not, uh, I, w- I thought that they weren't an opportunity or I couldn't seek them. But uh, looking back, I'm like, those, those were available to me. Why did I not go after that? Mm-hmm. Have you ever uh, seen someone who maybe you, you thought needed that advice and pulled them aside and never told them that before and kind of pushed them in those directions? I do. So I uh, use a lot of kind of my you know personal looking back. Uh, with every in-processing person now, I talk to them about taking the time to look at what opportunities are out there. And even if it's five year, five or 10 years down the road, seeing what those requirements are, the prerequisite, what path that sets you on. And to be honest with yourself early on, if you think that would interest you and to go after it then. Don't, don't wait. Don't take any time to delay. And uh, doesn't mean it always happened, but at least you try to set yourself up on that path. And it may have opened, you know, made open a door to another opportunity, but to not delay looking to those opportunities. That's good advice. Um, I definitely can think of a few times in my career that I, I did that exact stuff. So um, that's definitely good advice. So this next question, there's no wrong answer to it at all. I don't think there's a right answer either. But how do you define success? tough one and it's definitely very personal I think you know how Mm -hmm. each person uh, defines it but for me I would say it's just being happy in every moment and always thinking I'm I'm moving forward I'm improving and I'm progressing Mm -hmm. I think I think I'll have failed if I became stagnant or I didn't take something from an experience. I didn't learn something. I didn't analyze it and whatnot. Professionally, I've already met what my lieutenant self thought was success. So making lieutenant colonel was the Mm. goal, right? If I can make lieutenant colonel, then that's success for me professionally. And honestly, everything else has been icing on the cake. And so I just think it's that always kind of moving forward, always improving and whatnot is, is the success. And if I stop doing that, then that's when I think I failed. So I'm just kind of putting it together. So it sounds like the advice you give yourself, you, you actually utilize that in your own life. And that's probably what's gotten you to this point. That's made you successful up to this point. You've, you've realized that you push forward and you are essentially, um, you know, using the advice you give others to, to move forward. Yes. I, yeah, I probably should have talked to you sooner to help, <laughs> help analyze myself on this one. Well, that's just what I'm, I'm picking up. Um, cause I do it all the time. I give people advice and then they walk out my office and I'll turn around and do the same exact thing I just told them not to do. You know what I mean? Not taking my own advice at all. Um, that's awesome, though, that you do take your own advice and use it to, to kind of project yourself and push yourself forward. That's awesome. As I've been doing these interviews, I definitely have noticed that a lot of the uh, commanders on base, or actually all of them so far, and, and everyone I've talked to pretty much uh, is constantly learning new things. So what, what are you learning now? that you'd like to share with the with the listeners of this podcast? Communication is uh, 
it's interesting how much you there's so much more to learn on communication mm -hmm. and it depends on who you're talking to what situation at what point to give the information and and overload potentially with uh with too much information and so um i would say it's still a battle knowing when to do that uh, and definitely in this position the the value of the impact that it does have when either i withhold information and maybe misstep and didn't let people know early enough uh, mm -hmm. and whatnot to the, whatever information it is and so i think it's just constantly learning okay in that scenario i should have spoke to them sooner. I should have spoke to the member directly and, and whatnot. And so I think that's just been a constant, uh, constant learning experience. And uh, I'm, I'm a huge, I love communication and I want to master it. And, uh, and so it's just constantly seeing, seeing the, uh, you know, sometimes improvements uh, with, with getting out there. I know in this environment, it's definitely been a learning experience on the virtual side mm -hmm. of things that, something that I didn't grow up with, but now having to utilize it, utilize yeah, yeah. it exactly. And knowing which forums are better to, to communicate with people. Yeah. Is there any type of class you've taken or a resource that you use to help you learn about that stuff? Or is it just a lot of trial and error, trial and error? A lot of trial and error right now. Uh, at Scott, they did have a class and the name escapes me, but we had, they had a communications class they took. Uh, it was like a three day, you dressed in civilian clothes and great. It was useful for personal life and, uh, and professional and whatnot. And, uh, and definitely I love to participate in all the professional education <laughs> courses uh, on base and uh, kind of really see what the the field is thinking and what they're talking about i think that kind of helps to to learn how to communicate it as well with each kind of rank base okay so because i some people i've noticed will like to read and then kind of learn that way but you just like to kind of get out there and, and figure it out huh <laughs> i do yes That's good. uh yeah i'm uh not a huge reader i, I wish i was um but it's yeah i just like to get out there and talk and kind of connect with with people that way so that brings me to my next question which is you know mm -hmm. uh, so what are, what are some if you could give maybe two books or three books that you've read throughout your career that really kind of made you think of things differently or made that light bulb go off that made you go oh wow i didn't never thought of that before what would those books be so the first one is a uh, extreme ownership it's written by two <laughs> navy seals yep. uh, of <laughs> I love it because, as I said, um, you know, reading isn't uh, isn't one of my strengths, but it's uh, shorter chapters in chunks that are digestible, mm -hmm. and they give a, a lesson, tell the story of where they, you know, found that lesson, and then apply it to kind of military and civilian uh, sectors. So yeah. that's uh, that's one of my, and just they they really stick with me. Um, there's the chapter about. Um, they are doing the boat races and yep. they switch the, the leaders, leaders yep. of the boat and how that it was a, a testament to that one leader. It's it's not the team that leader can influence how that team performs mm -hmm. and that uh, blew me away. 
The second one is, uh, and you've heard these recently, but uh, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Another good book, yeah. So his uh, personal story, and I, I just read it probably four months ago, and boy, he just like pops in my mind sometimes, yeah. even when I'm, you know, thinking, well, I don't know if I can do that. I'm like, well, no, David Goggins <laughs> yeah, said yeah. you can do it. His his mental fortitude is like no other, and uh, and so I think it's it's uh, just great lessons on leadership and uh, resilience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. Yeah, those are two great books. Um, uh, Extreme Ownership was probably one that I would say I read that made a light bulb click in me and pay more attention to communication and leadership after I read that. And then, yes, Can't Hurt Me. Yeah, once I read that, I was like ready to go do a 100-mile race. But I'm, I'm never going to do <laughs> no, that. But, but he makes you want to go like, well, yeah, I'll sign up for a 100-mile race. And, um, <laughs> he does. Another good, if you like Can't Hurt Me, another good book is called Living with a Seal, which is where he's kind of first introduced, mm. as far as I could tell. And it's by a guy named Jesse Itzler, who is, I think he owns the Atlanta Hawks. But anyway, he he has David Goggins come live with him for 30 days, and he has to do basically whatever he says. And the whole, it's a very funny book, but also, again, when you're done reading it, you just want to go, you know, run a marathon and, and, and do whatever. So if you like that one, you might you know, you check okay. out the other yeah, one. Okay, yeah, for good. sure, I will. So one of the reasons that I had asked you on this podcast, and I do want to say thanks uh, as well, is because you are constantly helping out with professional development classes on base. I think usually you are either the first or second commander to usually reply and say, hey, I'll, I'll jump on that. Um, so I really appreciate that. And I know that the folks taking the classes really appreciate that um, after you're done talking or the day that you mentored for the senior, or was it senior, or the flight commander's course, people had a lot of good things to say about, about your lessons and just everything like that the day before. So thank you for that. And then on top of that, what do you use for your own professional development? Uh, and so that helps you kind of, do those other classes for, for the rest of the base. Right. Yes. So the, the reading that I can, you know, that I, I do as well, I use those, the extreme ownership and the can't hurt me. I use those as lessons in my own professional development, honestly, um, reaching out to mentors. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was not, I did not find a mentor till very late in my career. So, uh, really as a, major is when I found my mentor mm-hmm. and uh, and my parents and my family and my brother uh, I reach out to them a lot so they're really kind of my sounding board for okay here here's an issue and and how to how to deal with that and then um, and then peers it's just great uh, being in command uh, as well as open up opportunity to meet so many other career fields. I know in the aviation career field, we, you know, we kind of get stuck with our own. Um, and, but I've always appreciated kind of branching out mm. and learning other career fields. And that has helped to some of the previous FSS commanders and in the MSG, I still reach out to them mm. when, when I met them in chief of safety. And that has right. helped to uh, kind of understand, uh, especially in the, how to mentor my airmen in the professional environment, things are changing, which you never think kind of they would in in the Mm -hmm. Air Force in a sense that's still the progression on the enlisted side and the officer side is still the same, but things are changing at lightning speed and really to reach out to them to get a feel of uh, what's going on out there. So I can also mentor and know what's, uh, what's current. Okay. Have you ever, um, and this is just kind of a side question. Have you ever made a connection through doing one of the panels that you've done? You'll sit in there with a commander you didn't yeah. know, and then you're like, oh, I know that person now, and you, you've, you've reached out to him at a later date to ask a question? 
That's interesting. Probably, not that it wouldn't happen. I just think that I've just had, I've already had a previous relationship okay. with all the panel members. Gotcha, that, okay. Yeah. I was just curious. <laughs> <laughs> it did help. I went, sat on one of the civilian um, professional development oh, panels. Okay. And uh, it it helped uh, make a connection with one of the civilians in, in our group. So that was mm-hmm. like a different and, and kind of reach out to them. So that was interesting with the, not the panel members, but the actual students, students in mm-hmm. it. So I thought that one was interesting. Yeah, those panels are, I like the panels. It's usually everyone's favorite part of the, of the class. So oh, That's good. When yeah. I always tell them, I I swear, I learn more. I, I mean, I hope I provide some great insights, but uh, I always feel that I take more away than, than I give in, in those situations. So I'm just so appreciative to, to have those opportunities to, yeah. to get out there and and the questions are the airmen. That last one, man, their questions were incredible. Yeah, they asked some good questions. I, I wrote the um, the first one that was asked down. I remember I wrote it down because he asked. I think he asked what was the most challenging but also rewarding thing that's happened to you in yes. your career. And I went, I've never heard that asked before. So I wrote I wrote that one down oh, it was uh, so to kind good. of maybe prime for future ones. But um, and uh, you know, I, I do appreciate the enthusiasm and I know that the commanders like it because yesterday uh, Colonel Curtis afterwards sent me a message I thought he was fired up from his email he sent but he's talked about how awesome the airmen were and he just how he loved doing that panel and everything so I get fired up when I see that the airmen ask good questions and then you all walk out of the room thinking wow these airmen are, are doing great awesome mm-hmm. these are great questions so I think that's pretty cool yeah that was awesome uh, so next question is what what motivates or drives you so we talked a little bit about how in the past you had you know kind of i won't say come out of your shell but held back on some Mm -hmm. things and then you finally realized hey i don't need to do that i can i can be myself and i can excel and succeed so because if you're like me and i'm sure most people that are like this are you'll still kind of have those moments where you're like oh maybe i should just kind of sit back Mm -hmm. here and not say anything so what do you tell yourself what do you do in those moments to kind of like go nope i'm gonna go for this that's great. You asking it harder than it's written. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Uh, Sorry about that. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, I think for me, it was uh, really when I went and worked with the army that I think I just, I don't know if now just that I, I just block it out now. Um, th- there's always the of wanting to be careful in the situation and right. Like how you navigate things. There's some, you know, strategic process to, to bring an issue up or to address it with your boss or supervisor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that will always be the case. I think I just had turned that off in, in my brain and, and now it's almost, I have to hold back. I have to now think instead of being at the forefront okay, well, I'm just going to wait and speak up until I know it's right. I now have to throttle back on that. And, and it's, okay, I want to speak up, uh, but now's not the right time. So it's a total okay. like 180 of thought huh. process. Did that take some time to get to that point or did it just, just a, a flip switch and you just became that way? I think it was a flip switch oh, wow. when I was the, the liaison. Yeah. So that job, you're a... Uh, one Air Force member in with an army unit mm-hmm. and it's, you can't sit there and be quiet and they are looking at you, right? right when right. it comes to Air Force issue, they're like, okay, Air Force, what's, what's the, what's the response here? <laughs> what, you know, what's the take on this? I think it, 
it just pushed me to, to, okay, I have to speak up. And then realizing, all right, I did have the knowledge. I did have the confidence to to guide them through this. And I need to not sit back anymore and just wait. I need to, to speak up. When, okay. Yeah. So almost like being put in the moment on the spot mm-hmm. and then... You, you ever just think back to that and that kind of what drives you forward to, no, I can do that. That's did, been there, done that. I can keep going, right? Oh, for sure. 100%. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I also did uh, static line jump training <laughs> with them down yeah. at Fort Benning. And, uh, and so that helped as well, right? Um, I, I was always someone who, I'll go after any. I love to do stuff. I love to do physical stuff. But it was just another, I think it was being put in with another service mm-hmm. and just realizing, okay, I can hold my own. I need to not hold back anymore. Okay. How was the uh, static line jumping with them? Was that interesting? It was interesting. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> it was. Um, so, you know, be- Benning is its own environment. It's great. A, a training environment. But then when I got back to Fort Bragg, we would do 1,500 personnel jumps mm-hmm. and you're squished in a C-130 and your combat loads are stacked on the person who sits across from you, your knee to knee and whatnot. And uh, it was just, um, it was an incredible experience. It's scary at sometimes, I, being a pilot, I always kind of worry about my health and my pilot qualifications. Right. So I would, definitely, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely get worried about that. Um, but otherwise it was, uh, it was a blast. So yeah, yeah. I was a um, in a contingency response group in Guam. Uh, you know, back in the day, and uh, part of my duties there was to be an EMT. So we would, I would uh-huh. be out there for the, the drops. And um, I guess I'm biased because you know I'm, we're Air Force, of course. But I always felt like the Air Force folks would be floating down, nicely landing, like you should, <gasps> and then you just see the Army just whack, 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 just hitting the <laughs> ground. And yeah, we'd be out there with binoculars, just watching them and then oh they're up okay good go to the next one and so i was I, just wherever we would jump with the army I, I always kind of felt like they they just were a little i don't know how to explain it it was just it was funny watching you could tell like just by the way they hit like oh that's probably an air, one of ours and sure enough it usually was so <laughs> that is funny because when i would exit the aircraft i you don't want people by you because you don't mm-hmm. want them to steal your air yeah. or you know or to hit you whatever and uh and so I would feel that they would just be like all over the place. And I'm like, get away, you know, and, uh, and, and I was littler. So I would kind of float up and just kind of float down where you get a, a larger person. They're just going to fall faster. Yeah. Um, and, and so I would just kind of be like floating down. Sometimes I would just like float off the drop zone and whatnot. <laughs> and it was just, uh, it was hilarious. But yeah. I, I landing at night. Oddly enough, they say it's easier because you, you're not trying to anticipate the fall or whatnot. And mm. I was just the worst at landing it. Oh, really? I, oh, yeah. It was so funny. So I don't know. During the day, I was like, I can see the horizon. Okay, I'm good. But at night, I would just like hit like a ton of bricks. So they like, say it's easier? I, I, would, I would think that'd be, that'd be the opposite. Yeah, it was actually easier because you wouldn't anticipate. So you don't oh, want to okay, anticipate. You just yeah. want to hit and then, you know, let your body fall. Yeah. You're supposed to fall. But... I was always the worst at night. The only injury I was out there for, actually, no, I wasn't out there for, but the only injury that we had in our unit was at night. Somebody jumped, and I guess they dove forward, and their riser caught their leg and broke their femur. So they had to land like that. So, yeah, so um, ever since then, I was, it was just nerve-wracking kind of being out there as an EMT, because you're just, just, I'm sure it was nerve-wracking for the jumpers, too, but you're just, you know, after that happened, 
the rest of the time, it was like you were kind of on pins and needles just waiting for everyone to stand up so you can make sure they were okay. So, yes, so it's interesting. Okay. Say, yeah, they say it would be easier at night. Yeah. So we actually made it through all the questions, believe it or not, uh, except the last question, which is, <laughs> what are three takeaways that you would like to leave with the audience? Okay. The first one is, and, and all of these really kind of go in line with, as I said, I wasn't, uh, I, I found in my second assignment where I really kind of found who I was and what kind of officer I wanted to be. And, uh, and so they, they kind of are all in line with that. So um, find ways to integrate what you love to do into your work. So if there is a, a passion that you have um, or whatnot, and, and I tell this to all the new people, find a way to integrate that somehow into your job because uh, it probably will help improve uh, the, the operations that we do, improve a process, and it's something you enjoy. So it's always easier to do work that you enjoy mm -hmm. and to kind of help uh, help to, to motivate people. And that's, that's something that um, I have have tried to get better at as, as I go through my career because it does just make it easier. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one is uh, don't be afraid to vocalize what uh, your goals are and who you are. And uh, and it was when I was at Scott, this so the assignment before here and the uh, opportunity opened up and I was just, it was the first time I was candid and honest with my supervisor and it really came down to with I'm I'm getting too old to not be candid, mm -hmm. and it was so interesting how just being truthful and it, it was basically I I told him I I wasn't sure I was ready to be an executive officer and uh, you know I, because I was I had reservations about am I going to take care of people's personnel products am I going to take care of these things am I going to take the care of the boss properly. He mentored me great because one, being honest about that, you even knowing that that's what you need to do in that job, you're already ahead of other people. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and that opened up a discussion and that opened up him really getting to know me and knowing that I was ready for that opportunity, mm -hmm. even though I had reservations about it. So don't be afraid to have those conversations uh, with what you want out of your career and have them with your leadership because mm -hmm. they can help you get on that path. Absolutely. Uh, and the third one is uh, just don't put off something that you can do now and, and don't put it off un until later. Just life is too short. Uh, there were things in, um, in my personal life that I didn't. Some of it was hard because my first assignment was overseas. Mm. So travel back to the States was tough yep, yep. to see the family. And there were things that uh, I, I did put off and I didn't do. And I'm, I'm a live in the moment person. I, you know, I try to enjoy uh, every moment. I, I'm much better at it now. And I wish I was better at it then. Mm -hmm. Those are three uh, good points. And I noticed the second one is kind of a theme we've almost been talking about the entire time. So that must be a big one for you mm -hmm. is overcoming that, that, um, you know, uh, self-defeating thinking, I guess is what I'll call it. Mm -hmm. So awesome. That's really awesome. Well, ma'am, um, that's, that's really all the questions that I have for you. I appreciate you sitting down and talking with us, taking time out of your busy schedule, as I'm sure it's a very busy schedule. Um, and again, I want to thank you for all of the, the mentorship that you give in the classes, uh, that, that I offer 
and I do know that the students appreciate it because they, they tell me so afterwards and I see it in the feedback. So continue to, as your, as your schedule and your time allows, continue to support those because uh, the people in this space definitely appreciate it. So thank, thank you. you very much. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, everybody, that's it for this episode. So we will see you next time. Well, that's it for this episode of the Refuel Team Fairchild podcast. If you have show ideas, people you'd like to hear from, or if you'd like to be on the podcast, contact us at fafbcaa at gmail.com.